let's get to Philemon. We're going to close our series in Philemon today, finally. And we're going to read the, the last four verses or five verses. Philemon 21 to 25. The Word of God reads, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Um, for all the challenges, you know, these past three and a half months have not been easy. Um, there are a lot of uh, things we came to realize, which is awesome. A lot of things got clarified for us. A lot of things we just, you know, just confused us even more. Maybe some darker sides we started to realize of ourselves. But Lord, through all that, we thank you because we know that you're good and you're holding on to us. And we especially thank you for this church. And the ways that you guided us through online services, through online Zoom CGs, through the communities, and how somehow, somehow you spoke to us, you encouraged us, you empowered us, you gave us what we needed to continue to take steps forward in you. And Father, for even the uh, among us, all those who have struggled through these past few months, especially in our walk with you, Lord, we thank you that it's never about our performance. But it's always about your consistent, never-ending love for us and forgiveness for us that holds on to us. And we thank you, God, for that so much. And so we come here to celebrate you and to celebrate your word today. Lord, make us your people that love you and want to follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, and so... uh We've come to our close in this book of Philemon together. I know it's been a long time. It's like one of the shortest books, but I know it's been a long time. But we come to a close together. And, you know, since it's been such a while since we've been in Philemon, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a summary, and then we'll get into the message itself. Um, you know, Philemon is actually the shortest book that Paul ever wrote. It's the shortest letter that Paul ever wrote, but it might be one of the most explosive letters that he's ever written because it's so confronting. You know, it's so personally challenging. It literally says, here's the gospel. I need you to live this out, and we're going to make sure that you do. You know, a lot of times the other ones are all about teaching something new, teaching something different. But this one's like, no, you know everything. We just need you to live it out, and we're going to make sure that you do that. It's really confronting. And so it can be really, really challenging. Here's the story. We'll get to some of the lessons that we learned in, in a minute or two. But here's the story. You know, there was this friend. The, the Apostle Paul has this friend named Philemon. And he's like a master of this slave called Onesimus. Onesimus steals from his master Philemon and decides to run away. But while running away, he encounters the Apostle Paul and becomes a believer through Paul's ministry. And not only does he become a believer, but he also becomes a partner in the gospel with Paul. So they're doing ministry together. When all of a sudden, Onesimus becomes convicted, man, I think what I need to do to honor God is to reconcile with my master. So he decides to go back to Philemon to reconcile, knowing that a death penalty could be upon him. But he just wants to please God. Paul, seeing that, says, okay, hold up. Let me write you a letter to my friend Philemon. He just happens to be a friend of mine. And let's see what I can do to try to convince him to reconcile with you. Because he may not want to. And so that's what this letter 
is all about. And in that letter, he writes to Philemon, look, I know Onesimus stole from you. I know that when he left you, he was a non-believer. But he's come a believer now. So now he's actually a brother. I know he stole. I know he was your slave. But being in Christ makes us family, doesn't it? Even though he was your slave in society, he's actually your brother in heaven and in the real world. So let's forgive him. Let's accept him as a brother. And let's be a Christian family together. This is a letter that's written to Philemon. And some of the major lessons and some of the major themes that we kind of covered was, what does it mean to reconcile? We talked about reconciliation. We talked about what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ. What it means to be a part of God's family. What it means to love God and to love others. What it means to be the church. And what it means to be the gospel to the world and to the church. And so this passage, these last, you know, five verses, we end here today with what looks like just some final greetings. But just like every other passage that we've studied, there's a lot more to it, isn't there? You know, this, these last five verses actually summarize and kind of synthesize and bring together all the lessons that we've ever learned throughout this book. It teaches us how to actually love God and love one another with our lives. And I think there's no better time to actually do that than now as we come out of this lockdown together. So, you know, uh, here's the point, just to be clear. The point of today's message is this, and I love what Sally prayed about. Um, prioritize or reprioritize your faith in Christ. And that's our message for today. You know, I kind of feel like as a pastor, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, the lockdown took, it hit me. You know, something happened to me. I don't know if something happened to you, but you know, these fun, these past few months, it kind of left me a little bit confused about myself, about life, about my future. Do you guys kind of feel like that? I read this article recently that in America, when they came out of lockdown, there were like millions of people literally quit their jobs and decided to do what they really wanted to do with their lives or something like that. You know, there was, it's a time to reset. It's a time to really, really think what your life is all about. And I don't know what you went through, through the lockdown, but. You know, I know for myself, a lot went on out there with the virus, with the lockdown going on. But more than that, a lot went on in here. And a lot went on in here, in the inside. And certain things kind of left me a little bit confused about myself, you know, about everything about who I am, you know. And uh, this is this is what, what I mean. You know, in the past few months, uh, maybe just to get by each and every single day, I decided to take up new hobbies. I decided to invest myself in a few things, you know, after a 30-year hiatus, I decided to pick up the violin again, you know, to my family's disdain, because I suck, you know, but, you know, and then I, I watched tons of movies like you guys probably did on Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever, I mean, I, I, was a, I just watched and watched and watched. Uh, fantasy football, NFL, I am absolutely consumed with that, you know, and I spent a lot of time with my family. And these are the things that I did. None of those are bad. But what I discovered is after three and, a, three and a half months of literally consuming myself with those things, I wake up even today sometimes wanting to do those things rather than spend time with God. You know, spending time with God versus fantasy. I'd rather do fantasy. You know? And this is the reality. This is the honest. So certain things displaced or replaced my passion for God and my walk with God. And so good things because it, it kept me going, but bad things, because maybe it kind of replaced some fundamental things that shouldn't have been replaced. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm just being honest with you. 
you know, even, and, and, and it felt like that. I don't know about you, but last week when we all came back to church, it was cool. I got, you know, just seeing each other, it was kind of, it was, it was electric. It was great. It was wonderful. And I loved seeing you guys. And I don't know if you felt like this too, but after the service was over, for some reason, I didn't want to fellowship. You know, I was like, Hey, and I just want to say hello and then go home. Were you like that? Like maybe you weren't. I was. You know, and the thing is, I was, and I, and, and, and I was like, why am I like that? Now, and, and I realized I, I just feel tired. Even though I haven't seen you guys in three and a half months, I, I just wanted to say hello and go and rest. And because I, I felt tired, I didn't even, pre- I didn't even preach last week. I didn't even do anything last week, but I was just tired. And you know, I was talking to some people after service last week, and I was like, hey, are you guys going to hang out in Strathfield like you always do? Are you guys going to hang out in Burwood like you always do? They're like, ah, oh, no. I think I'm just going to go home. And a lot of people were just going home. And so I'm like, wow, this is really confusing. You know, last year when we came out of lockdown, we were just, we were just hitting everything. But this time we come out of lockdown and it just feels like we're just tired. Am I right? Is that just me? I don't know. Anyway, so I'm confused. So that I, you know, all last week I started thinking about it. I'm like trying to figure things out. I'm trying to figure myself out. And then I got to reading this passage. And I got to reading this whole book over again. And I came to one huge truth, something that I've learned over many, many years of being a Christian. And that's this. Um, Christ defines who we are. You know? Christ defines who we are and what we're all about. You know, I can sit here and I can try to figure myself out. And I, I can probably come to some conclusions, which are good. But... At the end of the day, the reality is that I can only see myself through my own eyes. Do you know what I'm saying? The truth of who I am um, is not who I perceive myself to be. But the truth of who I am is who God declares me to be. And the quicker I get on board with what, with who he declares me to be, the quicker I can come out of the confusion that I'm currently in. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? That's what we need to do as we mature in Christ. And that's what we need to realize, that that is the truth. You know, in our passage today, Philemon doesn't want to forgive his old slave who stole from him and run away. As if. But Christ declares that all of his followers forgive and reconcile. Philemon does not want to treat Onesimus like his brother in Christ. Dude, he was my slave. I paid money for him. I don't want to treat him now as my brother, as a family. I don't want to treat him like my family member. That's absolutely ridiculous in the society that we live in. He doesn't want to do that. But Christ declares that all believers are our brothers and sisters, regardless of what society says and regardless of your personal history. Do you understand? That's what Christ declares. And in the same way, Maybe you rock up to church. I rock up to church, and and I don't know if I want to fellowship with you guys afterwards. Is that bad for me to say as a pastor? You know, but, you know, I mean, maybe you don't want to either, right? Maybe you don't want to invest in each other. So maybe you come to church or you're watching, and, you know, right now, if you're honest with yourself, you don't really want to live for God. You know you should, but maybe you don't want to. But a follower of Christ lives as Christ wants us to live and not as we want to live. Why? Because we know that who he created us to be will give us joy, satisfaction, and will truly help us become everything that we were created to be. And I know that's what all of us want, and that's why all of us 
sit in a church building 1.30 in the afternoon. You know? The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man, but it only leads to death. And it's true. Not just death in this life, because we probably got sick of it. Maybe we tasted a little bit of it during the lockdown, but it leads to eternal death as well. But Jesus Christ came to this earth, died upon the cross, so that we can now live a life that leads to more life. Life abundant, life to the full. And if you're coming out of this lockdown and maybe you're a little bit unsure of yourself just as I was, I hope you come to realize what I did very, very clearly. And that is, it is only by living the life that Christ saved to give you that you'll truly find who you really are. Isn't that what it says in Matthew 16, 25? It says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, Jesus talking, will find it. Right? The true road to recovery begins with Jesus. Right? The true road to spiritual recovery, if that's where you might be, is to prioritize your faith in Christ once again. And that's the message for us today. I believe that's where we are. That's where I kind of am. And so I'm just projecting a little bit. You know, I just assume that we're kind of all like that together. Let's reprioritize our faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe God is calling all of us back to him. Our passage gives us three ways that we can do that together. Okay, And this is the first way. The first is to devote yourself to Christ. Devote yourself to Christ. Verse 21, it says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This is a really funny passage, or this is a really funny verse. It's actually a very uh, powerful verse too. Paul writes this all throughout the book. Paul's saying, hey Philemon, I'm giving you this choice. I give you the freedom to choose whether you want to forgive or not, whether you want to reconcile or not. It's your choice. But in this verse, as he's ending, he says, but I'm confident that you'll obey Jesus. You know, it's like, it, it, it looks like it's freedom, but in the end he's saying, no, it's actually your obedience to Christ. That, that's what we're looking out for. And it's a little bit sly. And, and what's funny about that, and we kind of, we kind of think it's a little bit uncomfortable. Oh, that's a little bit slick of Paul to write something like that. But I think the reason why we think that way is because I think our understanding of obedience is slightly different to their understanding of obedience 2000 years ago. You know, I think our understanding of obedience these days is kind of like this. We kind of view obedience as something that we kind of have to do in order to either satisfy an authority or to satisfy a rule you know and sometimes it's, it's a lot of times it's something that we don't want to do maybe we might be uh we might be forced to do it but what we fail to realize is that obedience to Christ is not a duty but it's an obligation does that make you feel any better of course it doesn't all right but let me explain what i'm talking about um if christ truly is our savior if we truly understand what he sacrificed and what he did so that we could have life and so that we could have salvation in him, so we could have this new life in Christ, if he is our Savior, if he's our joy, if he's our Lord, then we've already accepted and we've already embraced this obligation to want, to using our lives to wanting to please him. All right, that's it. That's, that's what, if I can sum up, that's what life is post faith in Christ, is the rest of my life is this thank you to God. I just want to make you happy. That's what it is. That's what the Christian life is. So we've already obligated ourselves 
to living out his character and will, which is what makes him happy. And that's why God gave us the scripture so that we can know him and so that we can live our life in a way that pleases him by reflecting his character and will all here on earth. And that's what Paul means when he says, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Here, he's reminding Philemon that to obey Christ and to live out his character and will is our pleasure. It is our obligation, right? And that's exactly what devotion is. Devotion is a passionate commitment to want to please God. I don't know where you might be after the lockdown, but the quickest way to discovering yourself, the quickest way to centering yourself on what, who you really are and who God saved you to be and what you can be in Christ is to devote yourself to Jesus first. I know whenever we really know what we want to do, you know, there are moments in your life where you really want to know, what you, you really know what you want to do with your life. Oh man, I'm going to lose weight. Maybe you stepped on a scale. And you're like, oh man, I'm going to lose weight. Or maybe, you know, you want to invest yourself in, in something more like, oh man, I got to clean the house today. It's so dirty. Look at my room. Or you maybe, you know, after the lockdown, you want to go on a holiday or something. What's the first thing you do? You make the, you make a commitment right? I am going to stop eating junk food. You know, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to pick up a vacuum. I'm going to buy a plane ticket today. What we do when we know who we want to become or what we want to do with our lives, we make a commitment to go do something. And that's all this is. You know, for many of us, the first step to prioritizing Christ in our lives is to devote ourselves, to decisively choose to make our lives about Jesus again. Sometimes we think we can ease into it. If I just go to church long enough, I'm sure I'll get convinced of it. Yeah, the reality is that's probably not true. The reality is you need to decisively choose that this is what you're going to make your life all about. Do you guys understand that? That's our first step to devote ourselves. No matter how confused you might be, it's only when we begin with Jesus that godly clarity can come into our lives. So let's first choose to do that. Let's begin with devotion. Secondly, let's be the church. Philemon 22 to 24 says this, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. You know, this part of the letter is actually very interesting because it seems as if Paul saying, hey, I can't wait to see you soon, so prepare a room. And by the way, all these guys say hello. And that's what it seems like it's saying. But in reality, this is what it's saying. It's saying this. It's saying, hey, Philemon, you know, all these guys I just mentioned, they're actually praying for you. And we're all watching to see whether you're going to live for Jesus or not. Oh, yeah. And by the way, um, this letter is being read aloud to your church, in front of your church. So your whole church is watching you as well. Right? That's what Paul is saying. I mean, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Can you imagine reading something like that? But once again, it, um, if you got a letter saying that all these people are watching you, that the church is watching you, would you consider that a positive thing? Or do you kind of consider that a negative thing? Right? If you were to choose. I, my guess is most of us would consider that to be slightly negative. And the reason why is because I think, once again, we have a little bit of a skewed understanding of what the role of the church really is, especially in terms of keeping us accountable or helping us live for Jesus. And this is what I mean. You know, when we think of people watching us or witnessing us or witnessing our lives, 
You know, I think we kind of think of that very, very negatively as if, if my church is watching me live out my faith in Christ, what they're really doing is they're like waiting until I mess up, right? That's what we think. We think, oh, my church is going to watch me and they're going to just wait there and they're going to point out whenever I mess up, they're going to put me down. They're going to make me feel bad. And they're going to point out all my faults. And that's, a lot of times we think that's what it is when people are, wa- are watching you or when people are witnessing you. But that's so untrue. That's what Asian parents do, but that's not what Jesus does. Jesus never does stuff like that. And nor should the church. And the reason why is because what you have to realize is that Christ and the church are people who already know that you are going to mess up many, 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 many times for the rest of your life. Right? That's what everyone at church should know. I was, I was helping my, you know, over the lockdown, uh, my wife and I, we taught our kids how to ride a bike. That's absolutely, I don't know why parents are more happy to learn <laughs> when they see their kids learn how to ride a bike. But the thing is, I remember I was helping my oldest son learn how to, how to ride a bike. He was about to fall down. I was teaching him how to brake, right? Which is weird, but you teach your kids how to stop. And I was getting so frustrated because he wasn't braking correctly as if there's a, right way to break. But I was getting so frustrated. And then uh, the second time, I like raised my voice so quickly. No, that's not how you do it. You know, I said to do it like this. And then the, the, the look of fear on my son's face, like he didn't want to ride a bike anymore. But that's how the church is sometimes, isn't it? Oh, wait, let me just finish the point. The point is, I should have gone into it knowing that this kid doesn't know how to ride a bike. Why would I ever get angry if he falls? Right? Why would I ever be frustrated with him if he can't do it for the 10th time? He doesn't know how to do it. So I should understand that he's probably going to fall 30, 50 times, and he won't get it the first 50 times. If I had gone in like that, I would have been so like nice. You know, I would have been like the most gentle father in the world. But a lot of times the church is like that, isn't it? You know, the, we always feel like the church is always there, always waiting to, 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 fight, to see us mess up. And when we do, they shame us or they guilt us or they point it out, you know? But the thing is, that's, that's not what the church is. God never made the church to be like that. And so what you need to understand is because Christ and the church, the real church, understands that we are going to mess up because we're still messed up and sinful. When we read that the church is watching us and witnessing us, they're not watching us to see if we're going to mess up. But they're watching us so they can cheer us on when we do mess up. And especially when we mess up so that we can stay faithful to God. Do you understand? That's the meaning of watch. When you are accountability partner to someone, you're not there to point out all their faults, but you're there to encourage them, to empower them, to invest yourself in them so that they would want to turn to God, especially when they mess up, rather than be ashamed or guilty or feel bad about themselves when they mess up, and which makes them want to want to run away from God. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe we were like that. And that's exactly what Paul and these other gospel workers mentioned here that they're doing. When they say that they're praying for Philemon and they're watching Philemon, it's because they want him to succeed. They want him to be faithful. They want him to be successful in his walk with God. And that is the church that all of us need. So here's the question. What kind of church did you grow up in? You know, did you grow up in a church that was like this? I hope so. 
Or did you grow up in a church that was uber-like judgmental? You know, one whose default mode was to pick out all of your faults and to put you down or to make you feel bad about yourself, all that kind of stuff, right? If you, if you, if you grew up in a church like I did, which was the latter, then you want to know something? Every single time I mess up, you know what the first thing I do is? I condemn myself. I make myself feel guilty. And if I don't feel guilty enough, then man, I must not be, that's how sinful I really am. And I keep on like berating myself and destroying myself until I feel bad enough. For me to come to God. Do you know what I'm talking about? How demented and messed up that is? But I bet a lot of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But that's because we grew up in that kind of abusive environment like that. It wasn't. That's not the church. Do you know what I'm saying? And nor should ever be the church. So can I tell you this? That's not the church that God wants, nor was that the church that God ever intended us to be. No matter how beneficial a spiritual leader may have told you that it is. He wants a church that prays for each other, that supports each other, that empowers one another so that we stay faithful. And even when we do fail, because we will many, many times, not to judge, but to forgive and to uplift and to empower so that we would want to turn to Christ rather than run away like so many did. If you haven't experienced that kind of a church, I apologize. You know, that should not have happened. But if that's where you are right now, let's not blame others. The great thing about this lockdown is that we have an opportunity to press the reset button in many areas of our lives. And as a church, we have the opportunity to press the reset button to become the church that we've always wanted to be, though the church that we always know that we should be, and to fight for it together. I need all of you to decide that. You know, we can't just go with the flow anymore because that's what Sumbogam is. Or because that's what full gospel is and will always be. FLM can be the church that we know God wants us to be. I'm not saying they're a bad church. Don't get me wrong, okay? But what I'm saying is if we have a, a clear understanding of what the church should be, let's start practicing that with each other. And maybe when you look at yourself, maybe you're one of those people that you know, oh man, I'm Eddie, I'm one of those judgmental guys. I literally walk around the church trying to find faults in others. If that's you, can you please stop? You know? And can you please repent and change? It's hard enough trying to live for Jesus without you. You know? We don't need your negativity or your judgmentalness or your non-godliness affecting us or infecting us as we're trying to live for God. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not trying to put anyone down here, but I just, that's who we are. That's who I am. But I'm trying to kill that every single day. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to be a believer that gives the church life. You know, I don't want to be a believer that drags the church down anymore. And I want you to be the same. Let's be the church together. Man, there are so many there's so many people that you probably know left the church not because they don't like Jesus, but probably but because of judgmental Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Let's stop that today. And let's stop being that church today. Right? Oh, what am I talking about? Ah. Uh, so, can we all commit to not only being thankful for the church, but let's commit to being a church that people will be thankful for. You guys get that? Let's be the church. Because that's who the church is now. One verse, and then we'll go on to the last point. Hebrews 12.1 says this. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What this verse is saying is that is this. All the faithful Christians that came before us, the, the Moseses, the Davids, the Paul, they all passed away, but they're all in heaven right now, and they're a cloud of witnesses. What are they doing in heaven as cloud of witnesses if we understand what the church is all about? They're cheering us on. They're praying for us. They're hoping that we'll stay faithful. And they're hoping that even when we do mess up, that we won't look at ourselves and condemn ourselves and leave God, but that we'll understand Christ and the church so powerfully that we'll look to Christ and we'll turn to him and that we'll encourage each other and love each other so that we'll want him even more. That's the great cloud of witnesses. that there. If I, if I had a team like that behind me, man, I would throw off all the sin that easily entangles me and want to live for what everyone's watching and hoping that I'll actually live out. And I hope the church becomes that to you. Let's be the church together. Lastly, depend on God daily. Philemon 25, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Uh, once again, Philemon doesn't want to forgive Onesimus. That's why there were letters written. Philemon doesn't want to accept Onesimus as a, as a brother, former slave, now a brother. No, he doesn't want to do that. That's why Paul has to write this letter. But the question is this. How does a heart change? He can't just make the, oh yeah, I'm just going to, I'll forgive him. You know, <laughs> it doesn't. Only God can change our hearts. And all of us need God in order to be like God every single day. And so the only way we're going to do that is if we keep on making, if we keep on depending upon God every single day so that he can continually change us to be like him. You know, I think one of the hidden treasures of the lockdown is that we got to discover who we really were. I don't, I mean, at least in my life, you know, I, I hope eventually you, you, we all got to some place where we realized that, uh, this is what I realized. We cannot make ourselves happy. We can temporarily, but not forever. Right? Am I right? right? You just can't. We can't satisfy ourselves. And here's the bigger conclusion. We are not enough for us. I am not enough for myself. This is the biggest conclusion I came to. You know? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Right? I, no matter how many movies I watch, and no matter how much I entertain myself, I'm bored. No matter how many games I play online or on Switch, I'm just tired. You know, no matter what I do, no matter how much I play a violin or I invest myself in fantasy football or hang out with people, I just, you know, it's not enough. That's what my conclusion is. And so it was never satisfying. And so the whole time, and this is my lockdown journey, the whole time I'm feeling like I, after something, after I get disappointed by this movie or something like that, uh, I'll go complain to my wife for like 30 minutes about how bad this movie was. And then I feel like in my heart, I feel like God is like prompting me saying, Eddie, but I'm here. Hey, 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 I'm here. You want to hang out? And this is how bad the lockdown was for me, if I'm honest with you. I'd be like, ah, no, it's okay. Yeah, I'd rather watch another disappointing movie than hang out with you, God. And that's what I would do. And then, but then more I would do that, the more I got just disappointed. And the more I got discouraged, the more I felt tired, the more I felt like, wow. So eventually I get to this point. And then God, you know, he's not judging me. He's not condemning me. I feel no guilt from God in the process. But I just feel like he's wooing me. Oh, by the way, okay, I'm, I'm here, by the way. Love you. I'm still here. 
And it gets to the point where I, and maybe as a Korean, I feel bad enough where I'm like, fine, you know, I, I'll spend some time with you. And, and as I did, you know, I felt like parts of my heart were starting to open up. And I felt like God was like touching parts of my heart and my soul that just would make me cry, that would make me just something that was real. And I felt like, oh man, maybe this really is what I've been searching for the whole time. Even though I'm a pastor, even though I'm a Christian, you know, when you come to realize that everything that you need truly is in Christ, that's revival, you know what I'm saying? And um, it wasn't at a revival meeting, but it was just the gentle voice of God wooing me on to say, spend some time with me. You know, know that this is what I created you to be. Let's hang out. You're going to find your deepest joys and satisfaction in me alone. And when that starts to happen, it's absolutely amazing. You know, I credit that to all of your prayers. Many of you have messaged me during the lockdown. Thank you so much. Saying that you're praying for me, asking for my prayer points. And I would, and sometimes I would share very honestly. Sometimes I would just give you some generic, just pray for me. You know, I apologize if I just shared some generic thing. But I do credit all of you praying, you depending upon God, saying, God, you got to like work in Eddie's life, I believe was the power that made me come around. And it makes me conclude all the time, man, we need God. And that's what motivates me to pray for you guys. I can't change your life, but God can. And I know that. You probably know it too. And if we know that, then let's pray. Let's ask God. Let's... And so for me too, personally, I, I now pray more because I know I need to depend on God every day if I want to continue to grow. Otherwise, I might just end up like I was, you know, mid-lockdown. We all need God. And so let's pray for each other. Let's pray for yourself. And let's ask God to continually change our hearts into what he wants it to be. You know what I realized a few weeks later as I talk about all this today, I realized dependence upon God, I always thought we need to depend on God so that we can do everything God wants us to do, right? But what I realized now, maybe more than ever, is that dependence upon God is not about God helping me do what he wants me to do, but I need to depend on God so that I can continually be who he's called me to be, so that I continually, so it's not a duty or an obligation, but it really is a joy, so that I can just be with him. And that's it, you know? And so I hope that's what all of you want. I just want to be possessed by God. And I hope that's what all of you want as well. If so, devote yourself to him once again. Commit yourself to being the church and to being thankful for the church. And let's depend upon him every single step of the way so that we can be his in every Way. You know, even though uh, our state, New South Wales, has given us a roadmap out of this lockdown, I really believe that the true road to spiritual recovery is found only in Christ. So let's prioritize Him and let's recapture our passion for God once again. Let's pray. You know, I want to give you a challenge, but more than anything, I just want to tell you this. You know, God loves you. 
His love for you hasn't changed. I have no idea what this lockdown was for you these past three and a half months. But what I do know is that he loves you like crazy. His love for you hasn't changed. I think about that footprints, you know, poem where you thought you were going this lockdown all by yourself. Where was God during the whole time? But we discover at the end that it was actually God holding us and carrying us the whole time. He loves you. His love for you hasn't changed. He cares for you. He wants to be close to you. He's been wooing you this whole time. So I'm just going to ask you, will you turn to him? And will you surrender to him? Talk to him today. Let's spend like a, a few minutes, maybe three minutes, or a little more extended time today. Just talk to him. Be honest with him. And whatever he prompts you to say or do, just do it. Let's spend some quality time with God right now. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you've been faithful to us. You're so good to us. We thank you, God, that whenever we step into your presence, we find true love, true forgiveness, true holiness. Sometimes that's scary. Other times it's absolutely compelling. And we thank you, Father, that uh, you make yourself available to us all the time. We turn away from you so often, but yet you're so faithful to us. You so love to us. And Father, we thank you for your love that never changes. And we thank you that the farther we run away, the further you decide to stretch your arms. And we thank you, God, that you possess this love that never lets us go. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. God, um, we pray that you'll return all of our hearts back to you in ways that make you great, in ways that builds your church, in ways that pleases you. So help us do that because we need your help to do that. And Lord, uh, heal the parts that got broken that need to be healed during the lockdown. Clarify the things that need to be clarified so that we might live for you. And God, uh, help us to press the reset button in the proper areas so that you might be made great through them. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.